chapter 22. We did not find that the baptism of the Holy Spirit always freed a boy. In fact, it did just the opposite. It trapped him. This had been simultaneously one of the most discouraging and the most encouraging results of our work. At first, our hopes were very high that the baptism would always and permanently free boys from the hold of heroin. There was a good basis for this hope. As soon as we began to suspect that there was a relationship between the baptism and a boy's ability to throw the habit, we made a special effort to lead our young dope addicts into the experience. At first, we experimented rather cautiously on a marijuana user. Lewis was one of our boys who had been smoking this weed which addicts the mind but not the body. He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and his mind addiction left him completely. Encouraged, we went on to a tougher assignment. What about a boy like Roberto who had been on heroin which addicts the mind and the body as well? What would happen to him now? We watched Roberto carefully for signs that he was back on the drugs, but day after day he came to the center with his eyes shining and his hopes high. I think I'm on top of it, David. I have a tool I can use. I just come here with the other boys and pray. Time and again we got the same results. Harvey had been referred to us by the courts. He had been deeply addicted to heroin for three years. But after the baptism, he said the temptation itself went away. Johnny had been on heroin four years and pulled away successfully after his baptism. Lefty had used the needle two years, and after his baptism, he not only stopped drugs, he decided to go into the ministry. Vincent used heroin two years until his baptism, when he stopped instantaneously. Reuben had a four-year addiction at his baptism. He was given the power to stop. Eddie had started on heroin when he was 12 years old. Fifteen years later, he was still using the drug and was nearly dead from its continual use. The baptism of the Holy Spirit released him from his addiction. I was so excited that I checked with medical authorities to find out what grounds we had for making some bold claims. None, I was told frankly. At Lexington, a boy is not considered cured until he has been off of the stuff five years. How long have your boys been clean? Not long. Just a few days? Oh, no, it's a matter of months and a few cases over a year. Well, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Tell me some more. I'd like to know about this baptism of yours. At the end of our interview, I was warned again that a drug addict is virtually impossible to help and that I should be on the lookout for a fall. The sad part is, I was told, when a boy slips, he goes back to a deeper addiction than before. If he was shooting twice, he'll go three. If three, he'll skip to five. The degeneration is more rapid after a fall. And then one of the boys did slip. Even after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he had not learned that living in the Spirit is as necessary as receiving the Spirit. Ralph had been on marijuana for two years and on heroin for three years. He was deep into the habit. He had tried a hundred times to break the addiction. He tried to leave his gang where his buddies were mainlining with him. Each time he failed. There was only one out, Ralph thought. He had to take his own life before he took the life of someone else on a dark night when he was desperate for a fix. One night two years ago, Ralph climbed on a roof. He stood at the ledge, ready to dive headfirst into the street. He was waiting only until the sidewalk below him was clear. And at that moment, he heard the sound of singing. It came from one of our gang churches, meeting in a building directly across the street from the tenement where Ralph stood. He lifted his head and listened. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. Ralph stepped down from his perch. He listened to the rest of the song, and then he walked down the stairs of the building and crossed the street. A sign outside invited him to come in and hear the story of how God was working in Brooklyn streets to help boys addicted to drugs and tied to the gangs. He went in, and Ralph was never, has never been the same since. He turned his life over to Christ, and later he received the baptism of the Spirit. We were very, very proud of Ralph, and we still are. He went off the needle for over a year. He left New York and went out to California to live, and all that while he was clean. Then he came back and paid us a visit. He was all right for several days, but I noticed a despondency settle over him whenever he returned to his old neighborhood. I learned that his friends were taunting him about the needle. Ralph was being tempted again. We tried to keep in close touch with him, but Ralph was elusive. And then he fell. 
He made contact and went up to his room and stuck the needle in his veins. Five times before Ralph received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he had tried to pull off drugs. Each time he was so disgusted with himself after falling that he started to drill more heavily than ever. Now he had been off over a year and was drilling again, but a strange thing happened this time. The shot did not have its usual effect. The next day, Ralph crept into the center and asked for more. When he came into my office, he closed the door, and I guessed that he had been drilling. Something funny's happened, Dave, Ralph said after he finally found courage to tell me what he had done. After all, after I got through drilling, it was like I hadn't had anything at all. It wasn't anything like what I'd felt before. I felt something else, though. I suddenly had this strong urge to run to the nearest church and pray. And that's what I did, Davy. This time I was forgiven. And I didn't feel disgusted like before. Instead of going from bad to worse, the temptation just went away. Ralph's eyes shone as he said the next words. Do you know what I think? I think I'm trapped, all right. But not by heroin. I think I'm trapped by the Holy Spirit. He's in me and won't let me get away. Ralph came back to us humbled and fully aware of the fact that the baptism had made him Christ in a special way. He couldn't get away from him, even when he tried. The same thing was true of Roberto, a different Roberto, who had been drilling for 15 years, who slipped for a short while but found he couldn't go back to the needle, and for Sonny, who after he slipped once came back with such fervor and such conviction that he wants to go to seminary. Where does this leave us? Certainly we cannot claim a magical cure for dope addiction. The devil that hides in that needle is so deadly strong that any such claim would be folly. All we can say, perhaps, is that we have found a power that captures a boy more strongly than narcotics. But that power is the Holy Spirit himself, who, unlike narcotics, does a strange thing for our boys. He captures only to liberate. We are still in the infancy infancy of what we consider a bold experiment. We have much to learn about what this religious experience can and cannot do in unhappy lives. Every day we are making new discoveries. Every day we learn how to make our role more effective, how to increase our percentage of permanent cures. One of the promises of Christ is that His Spirit would lead us into all truth. It is on this promise that we take our stand, knowing that someday He will lead us to principles that can be used not only here on Clinton Avenue, but all over the United States. Wherever loneliness and despair have led boys and girls to seek release from their problems with a syringe, a dirty needle, and a bottle cap cooker. One day, Linda and I were sitting in my office discussing these things and wondering where they might lead us. Yet I was aware that there was one name neither one of us was mentioning. Maria. Do you think Maria could ever receive the baptism? I asked suddenly. I saw in Linda's eyes that she had been wondering the same thing. Together we agreed that Maria had a most difficult problem. She had been on heroin for years. The last time she had come in to see us, neither Linda nor I thought she had long to live. Even now I sometimes saw in my sleep the deep sunken eyes, the clenched fists, the shaking lips. But we agreed to pray for a miracle in Maria's life. Both of us nursed the dream of guiding her into the baptism there at the center. But it wasn't to come that way. One day... Late in the summer, we got a telephone call from uptown. It was Maria, and she was in Reverend Ortez's church. Reverend Wilkerson, she nearly shouted into the phone. I got wonderful news. Last night here, I received the Holy Ghost. She could hardly talk for excitement, so I asked her to put Reverend Ortez on the phone. As he described the event, I could just see the scene. Maria walking into the former private home, sandwiched in between apartments where noisy parties were so often held. Maria, working her way through other Spanish men and women until she found an empty folding chair. Maria, listening to the preaching and hearing the altar call. Maria, going forward. I could even hear her voice so husky the last time she visited us, now begging the Lord to send his spirit to dwell in her. I could see her sink to her knees and feel the hope in her heart as warm hands were laid on her head. 
And then, the soft, melodic, bubbling language that she did not understand coming from her own throat, the seal and sign that prayer had been answered. Reverend Ortez was jubilant. We've all waited a long, long time for this, haven't we? He said. Indeed we have. It's another victory. Secretly, though, I was filled with apprehension. I knew that Maria had one great weakness. When she got angry, she went back to the needle. It was the pattern many addicts followed, but I had watched it with Maria so many times. I had the feeling that if, just once, she could conquer this problem of anger, she would be all right. And it wasn't long before Maria was put to this very testing. One evening late, Maria stepped off a bus on an apparently deserted street in Manhattan near her old turf. From out of the shadows stepped three girls. Hi there, Maria, Maria turned. She recognized the girls as members of the old gang. She greeted them warmly in the dark. Behind them, she recognized, too, the form of a boy. Say, Maria, one of the girls said, we hear you're off H. We hear you've got religion now. That's right, said Maria. Well, now, ain't that just wonderful? If you're not having to spend all that money on horse, you must be rolling. I wonder if you'd lend a couple of old friends a dollar or two. Maria knew what the money would go for. Many were the times she had sat in a darkened room with these same girls twisting a belt around her arm and pumping a syringe full of heroin into her veins. I'm sorry, she said, not for what you're going to use the money. I know. Maria never saw the blow coming. The girl's fist plunged into her stomach. Maria doubled over. Her first instinct was to fight back, and Maria was known all over the area for her fierce fighting strength. But she stood there, hands at her sides, like the first day when she passed her test for the presidency of the club. Maria took punishment without resisting, without whimpering. But what a heroic difference between the two occasions. This time, Maria was praying. She was praying, too, when the knife went into her side. She was praying while the threesome leaned over her prone body and grabbed her purse and ran, laughing down the street. After a while, Maria stood up slowly in the lonesome street. She made her way home somehow, where Johnny helped her take off her blood-stained clothes Together they examined the wound. The knife had pierced her flesh close to the ribs. The wound wasn't deep and Johnny didn't think it would be serious. What he did worry about was Maria's emotions over the incident. What would happen to her now? Far too often he had watched his wife come along the road to recovery just so far, then slip when something made her angry. But that night, after she had bathed her bruises and put bandages on the knife cut, Maria fell asleep with the peace of a child. I was tremendously impressed with this story. Maria paid us a visit at the center a few days after her beating. She walked in with the black and blue markings of her bruises still livid. They messed me up a bit, Reverend Wilkerson, but I just prayed and everything was all right. The Holy Spirit was with me. I looked at Linda, who was as astonished as I at the change. That's all we need to know, I said aloud. The last time I saw Maria, she and her family were on their way to Puerto Rico. Johnny stood proudly at her side. Maria's three young children hung shyly to her freshly starched skirt, and they were clinging to a mother they were beginning to feel they could trust. Maria's hair had just been shampooed and set, and it gleamed in the sun. Her shoes were new, her legs, perhaps a minister shouldn't be noticing this, were shapely and clean-shaven, and, a more appropriate observation, her hands hung relaxed and graceful at her side. Maria told me that she and her family were going to Puerto Rico for the special purpose of attending a Spanish training school that will equip the couple for full-time work with the church. When they finish their training, they will return to New York, where we hope they will work with us here in the center. As I stood watching this family disappear, I found myself repeating over and over again the words of Jesus, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free.